0: Welcome to the FarmBits Podcast.
1: FarmBits is proudly produced by the Nebraska Digital Agriculture team and hosted by students at the University of Nebraska.
0: The FarmBits Podcast comes to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture.
1: Through interviews with experts, producers, and innovators from across the agriculture industry, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Hello, FarmBits followers, and welcome to another episode of the FarmBits podcast. I'm Kelsey Swantek.
0: And I'm Deepak Gimiri, and we are glad to have you with us as we continue our discussion on imagery service and use in ag systems.
1: On this episode, we're joined by Dr. Ye-Yin Shi, Assistant Professor and Ag Information Systems Engineer at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln.
0: Dr. Xi and her team create and apply information technology to record, transmit, manage, and use digital information related to the health, productivity, and sustainability of the agricultural production systems.
1: Tune into this episode to learn more about Dr. Xi's work.
2: I'm Xi, and I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Biological Systems Engineering at UNL and with the teaching and research appointment. So I am originally from China, and I came to US for graduate study um, for both of my master and PhD degrees, um, and both also in agriculture engineering um, from Oklahoma State University. And I was focused on um, instrumentation, sensing, and computer vision um, technologies. And my current research and teaching at UNL also falls into that big area of precision or the digital agriculture technologies, and especially um, the agricultural remote sensing and and also agricultural information and data analytics.
1: Uh, so you mentioned that you have both a teaching and a research appointment here at the university. What does that actually mean and what does that look like on a kind of day-to-day or month-to-month basis?
2: At most of the land Grant University, um, we have the missions of um, educating um, the broad citizens in the state and also we also hold the mission for for research. So um, so typically, a faculty member um, would have two or even more of the three appointments, um, which is teaching, research, and extension or out outreach. Um, so, as like myself, I am um, I have those two appointments: um, teaching and research. Um, that means. Uh, I need to dedicate it part of my efforts for teaching and then part of my efforts for research. And I have 50 teaching and 50 research appointments. So it's pretty much like I will um, evenly um, split my efforts there. So I would teach the classes um, during the semesters and then during, especially during the summer semester here which is from May to say, um, mid-August, um, I will more focus on the research.
0: Awesome. As you mentioned uh, in, in one of the previous questions that you came all a uh, long way from China and you are now a assistant professor position at UNL. So I think it would be interesting to reflect back on your journey to academia. Uh, can you please explain like what sparked your interest in academia and particularly remote sensing and agricultural research? And uh, what was the journey like? How did you get to where you are now?
2: Yeah, um, I was actually born and grown up in a big city in China, uh, located in uh, the bottom of the Yangtze River, which is the biggest river in China. Um, So, uh, but even though I am a city girl, uh, we are not too far away from the suburban and in the rural area. Uh, because it is a traditional uh, agriculture area and it's still nowadays it's still a very productive agriculture um, region in China. Um, so ever since my childhood, uh, i say um, during the holidays, the vacations, I, um, my, my parents would take me to the rural areas and I see those beautiful canola um, like flower, like yellow, very bright yellow flowering and um, just all the way along um, along the roads. And then also our, say our elementary school, middle school, high school curriculum. We also have a lot of um, curriculum and then those um, experiences um, created for us to actually to um get involved in person in those agricultural production. Um, So, so, yeah, so I am actually not that far away from agricultural production. And so those are, those all planted, those little seeds um, in my mind. Um, And uh, I, when I went to the college in China, I um, just um, happened to enter and, uh, like agriculture and forestry focused uni- university, and did my bachelor's in um, in engineering. So it's very natural for me when I was looking for graduate study in US, I was looking for those agricultural engineering um, pro programs. And very luckily, I got a like a um, chance um, with assistantship. Um, to do my to do my graduate study here, um, and I was um, very impressed about all those more than and advanced agricultural technologies here, and also those vast like say very large lands. Um, so if you are thinking about those agricultural fields in in Asia, um, and it's 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 all like typically would be very small ones and then a lot of manual labels, manual work still um, involved there. Um, So yeah, so I was very impressed by the agriculture technology. Um, And I um, decided, oh, this is the career that I want to to follow. Um, And you were talking about remote sensing. Uh, Remote sensing, I actually, Uh, really um, getting to it during late of my graduate study and also my post doctoral experience. Um, And I was just very fascinated about those um, aerial or like space um, imagery um, taken by say by airplanes, by the satellites, and also at that moment, the drones is just like say starting there so really fascinated about like the bird's view of the earth's surface especially for those beautiful agricultural lands so yeah so i guess that's how i get into this area
1: so when you came over to the U.S., this is gonna be kind of be a broad question because everywhere does everything differently. But when mm-hmm. you came to the U.S., what are some of the biggest differences between production practices that take place in China versus here in Nebraska?
2: A major difference would be uh, would be the 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 scale of the of the land, the scale of the of the field. Um, yeah, like say um, um for. Most of the, like say, the countries in in Asia, it's it's like a small small field small land, and then typically it will be scattered in between those residential um, areas. So and that really determines the um, the agricultural machinery um, and the technologies that can be used there. So for example. Um, um, we were we just mentioned about remote sensing and then the drones. Like the drone technologies actually has a lot of application in the Asian com- countries. Um, not only for sensing for um, for scouting the field, but also for actually for the aerial apl- applications. For example, apply for um, the chemicals or yeah. Like, say, herbicides, pesticides, um, et cetera. However, here, due to the vast scale of the lens, it's almost um, impossible for something like a drone to really find the same type of rows there. Um, But instead, there's just huge agricultural machineries. And also, like, say, if we're talking about, like, say, chemical application, um, besides the ground base, uh, we also have, like, say, the airplane base aero application. And then also because of that, uh, because of the scale of the land, there's just no way for, I mean, for uh, the manual work to to um, be a major major um, efforts here, right? So there's no way for human to 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 cover that vast um, area of the land. So and that also result um, with all those advanced machineries and technologies um, being um, being created here.
0: Yeah, that's that's great to know. Like uh, at least uh, in, in some parts of Asia, there are use of drones, but in some parts of the Asia, the land is very fragmented and there are smallholder farmers because of weeds, the applicability of like the agricultural machineries is still hindered. Yes. Yeah, so now uh, let us dive a little more into your research areas. Uh, Looking at your areas of research, we can see uh, one among the list is uh, remote sensing systems. So can you please explain us uh, a little about your current projects in that arena?
2: Sure. So my current uh, research um, has been focused on um, how can we how can we actually um, um, do something other than the traditional agricultural remote sensing or the traditional types of information that we could get from the agricultural remote sensing? For example, we we are all familiar with those classical um, vegetation indices, for example, like NDVI or NDRE, um, they, are, they are very important, and they are classical ones that are being um, researched, being developed, and also being demonstrated um, for decades for their um, application and their importance in agricultural um, management, in agricultural production. Um, however, um, my research has been focused on, okay, so um, besides those, What are the newer information that we could get from the uh, remote sensing data or from other types of data that are readily available um, in agricultural productions? And then how can we make use of them to better help with our decision making? Um, So, for example... Um, if we use uh, like say drone-based remote sensing as an example one of the very popular area um, in research right now is how ca- can we use uh, machine or deep learning techniques to extract more information from the data that can that can complement with the I mean, with the traditional, um, classical vegetation in Englishes, and then how can we really, I mean, use them to guide our day-to-day, um, practices. So that's, that's pretty much what I have been focused on for my, for my research so far.
1: So that's very cool, but to dive into that a little bit deeper, even yet, uh, what are i mean there's a lot of issues in ag just in general but what are some of the bigger problems that can be solved with the use of uavs or remote sensing
2: i think the uavs um, is more going to be a sampling tool rather than something that we can relying on for covering like say regular like say daily um, information daily data collect- collection for a really large area. Um, so, for example, like um, the drones could only, I mean, with the current best technology, it probably could fly like half an hour, and or some of the uh, some types of the drones and some manufacturer could bump up to maybe like an hour um, flat time, but that's the limit there. And also um, the data processing and then the data analysis followed by the data collection would also need not only time and then um, investment on the um, on hardware, hot, but also needs expertise there. So I would say at this point, uh, the drones application in agriculture are still like small scale, um, and it would be um, a like a supplement of the say satellite imagery or like airplane airborne imagery. Um, however, it it would be a very good sampling tool. For example, if you identified or if you suspect there is a Problematic area in your field. Um, instead of, like say, you actually being there, um, you could possibly you could send the drones there to take a closer look at before you actually be there or your say someone in in your group um, being there physically.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Like how uh, even both of them are used for receiving or collecting data from the agricultural fields, Uh, what peculiar characteristics uh, we are interested in may differ if we are actually using a UAV or satellite based sensing data. Uh, so on that note, like, uh, let's dive a little more into, uh, your particular areas of research. Uh, currently there has been a lot of use of, uh, drones in, uh, agriculture, particularly in breeding program. So, uh, when I went through your publication list that uh, I saw some of, uh, the key areas of your research includes use of UAVs uh, for high throughput phenotyping. So can you please explain a little uh, to our audience what hydropod phenotyping is?
2: Sure. Um. So hydropod phenotyping is actually probably originated um, about a decade ago. And then it started from Europe and then Australia. And, and shortly, I think it also started in North America here. Um, so. The very original um, purpose of the high throughput phenotyping is actually related, closely related with the um, with the breeding, um, because um, so for the genetic, and the sequencing, um, people already like overcome the bottleneck there, so um, they were able to do the sequencing for I mean in a very short amount of time for a very large channel there. However, um, I mean, we all understand that um, we could not release a like a a variety or a line there without actually seeing their performance in the field under a particular um, environment. So we always need to actually to plant it them in the field. Um, but then there are just, just so many. Um, like potential um, varieties or potential lines there, and then how can we how can we screen their performance um, with a I mean with less human labor there and then in a shorter time is really a problem. So we really want the uh, the auto- automated way using all those technologies and then the machineries that are designed for for a Quicker um, screening there, um, and also we need something there to have a more objective way of rating or or log the information rather than more subjective way. Um, for example, if we have ten people there, and then ten people may not give the same rating um, for for um, the for the plants, right? For the varieties, and that's how. Um, the high-throughput um, phenotyping, how it originated about a decade
1: ago. So how has that changed how conventional phen- phenotyping works?
2: So conventionally, I believe it's, like, say, um, the agricultural um, professionals just, like, say, walk through the field, um, say, from start from very early in the day or a particular time, and then has to, like, say, cover every single foot of the field um, to actually to do the ratings or do the logs. Uh, but then with the technologies, with those and um, the machinery and the sensing technologies, that's that's how we can cover and um, higher through throughput, we can cover larger lens with a higher through, throughput there. And also, we can use the same, exactly the same, collect the same types of information for every variety, for every field. So it's more more objective there.
0: Yeah, interesting to see how things had changed over time and how the uh, advancement in technology had changed our lives. So on that same note, uh, what does this change from a conventional phenotyping to a uh, drone-based, UAB-based hydrophobic phenotyping actually mean to a farmer?
2: So I would say farmers are probably the would be benefit from better varieties, better seeds. And so this hydroput plant phenotyping would eventually um like bring something good for farmers. Yeah, so it is probably not directly related, but it's actually um very important. So all those big, say, all those big seed um, companies, they actually have their own R&D groups are working on the high-throughput phenotyping technologies, and they also use it for their actual um, the breeding process.
1: Very cool. Uh, so taking a step back, just back to general UAVs for any ag use. Um, There's a lot of companies that are making this switch to um, higher resolution satellite imagery uh, in the ag field versus uh, using drones or UAVs uh, to make their management decisions. What do you think the future of drone use in ag looks like just because of that higher switch and that higher push towards satellite imagery?
2: So I always um, believe that all these technologies are going to be working together None of them is going to, I'd say, replace um, another one. So satellite imagery uh, or satellite remote sensing just keep uh, advancing there. And then we see um, from um, several years ago, we could only have the the imagery with about, say, um, 100 um, feet. Um, spatial resolution to nowadays we could have, I say, um, a few a few feet spatial resol- resolution is a very very typical um, ones, or even like say higher ones for some of the areas or for some of the um, commercial satellites there. So it definitely uh, it brings a lot of opportunities and a lot of applications in agri in agriculture. And then we we touched this earlier. Uh, drones is a readily available tool, provided that there is someone who is skilled to do to do this. Um, that you can use it um, as a sampling tools um, for your field. One of the issues with the um, drone um, nowadays is because the the federal policies or the regu- the regulations the drone flight, um, we still need someone who have a certain certificate um, to fly the drones. The technology for completely autonomous drones, which um, there's going to be a station right by the field, and then the drones will take off at a certain t- time and then will fly over the field and will come back automatically and then dock on a charging station and also um, transfer the data out. And then it could be easily transferred to, say, the local um, machines or up to the cloud for processing. Could could also, i say, um say, um, you could also schedule for um, a particular application based on the decision or based on the results um, you see from, you see from the, from the previous fight. So that kind of technologies is actually already existing there. However, uh, there's no way for it to be implemented now because of that, uh, um, that drone regu- regulation there. And even that, that regulation will be lifted, um, there's still some limitations there. Um, in terms of, say, the battery capacity and then the flight time, um, and then also all those kind of safety um, issues, right? So is the system reliable enough or sometimes people are also concerning about the cyber security, right? So is the data um, going to be sent somewhere um, that is undesired? So all those things there, so I would say in the near future, the drones would probably stay most of this application still in the research area and probably for those more large X sectors, which they um, could have their own R&D group or their own, like say, specially trained um, employees to operate this kind of um, tools
1: was lower um, like entering bars there uh, in the last I would probably say five to seven years there was a huge push to use drones and ag you know that was the biggest new thing in agriculture is everyone needs a drone you can do all these cool things uh, but very recently I would say in the past two years or so that narrative has started to change and now the push is more towards satellite imagery uh, in your opinion what's been the driving factor behind that change Good
2: question. Um, I think for every new technologies, there would always be a like a a cycle there. For example, initially it will always be like a hype, and then everyone is just very excited, very interested, very hopeful um, about it, and then. A lot of a lot of trials a lot of application is going to be there and then after after a while um, when we pass that the peak of that height um, then that 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 hype and then um, everyone's going to be like cool cool down and then um, we'll have a more more like say objective view for this technology so it's application is probably going to reduce until um, like one of the one of the valley there um, in that cycle and then um, if a technology can survive there then it will go and it's, ap- it's application is actually will go up and then it will be more sus- more sustained more mature and some of the technologies will just i mean it will just Never passed that. Uh, I mean, so the valley point there, um, which I think for for drones, it's definitely it's past that peak of that hype um, point, and it's and it's coming down on the, on a, like say um, going down a little bit. Um, but I think the drone technologies would actually. Would actually pass that, like say that lowest point, and it actually will bounce back there, and it will it will have a better, um, it will position itself better in the overall technologies, and then, um, and then the technologies will also being adapted according to the applications, the needs there, and then it will it will sustain, it will be more mature
1: there. That's a very interesting perspective. So you think drones are gonna have a second uh I guess push on them coming up sometime eventually is what you're saying.
2: Yes. I believe
1: that. That's very cool. Uh I think you touched on this a little bit, but I'm in case you happen to have more to add to it, what are some of the pros and cons of using um a drone compared to that satellite imagery?
2: So satellite image imagery um is of course um I mean for for production act, it's it's of course it's it's important, and then I would say no one will re- replace it throws there because this can cover large area, um, and then with this higher and higher spatial res- resolution, for example, that three feet spatial res- resolution is very common now nowadays. So with that three feet, that's I mean for a lot of the cases, it's it's good enough. Um, so, um, and on the on the drone side, um, if you see something abnormal from that, say that three feet um, spatial resolution um, ima- imagery, and you probably want to know more, what exactly happened there. Um, so in that case, if you could have a drone um, to fly over that area, at least you can see um, canopy level, or actually, it's going to be leaf level, right? I, I would I'd say that the leaf level, um, the the detailed info, information there, and that will, um, of course, that will help you to understand um, more how things exactly going going on there. Satellite. If you if you think about it, say the, the overall cost then it's 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 of course it's way way more um um costly than a drone system. However, um, the satellite is running by either the federal um, government or it's running by um, the commercial like very big um commercial companies there. So they've already somehow distributed all those costs um, to, I mean, either to, I mean, already um, prior cost or to some kind of, I mean, if you sub- subscribe there and then the subscription is actually not going to be very expensive. Um, and also there are um, more rigorous data processing there to make sure the data quality, and then for the, for the drones, because still at its like say earlier stage. I mean, if you if we look at it's like say it's overall properties, overall life, lifetime, um, um, there is just um relatively less um, I mean, very mature, very rigorous data processing there or um or um like say free, free data processing there. So So, we still need to pay for that or pay for um, the person or to train the person with that expertise to do it. So, I guess that's another um, major thing. But if, um, for example, but if we do the research, then we, if we do have those, I mean, the students with those expertise, then it's going to provide us, like, say, much. Higher, much more detailed information, and then um, and then we could do that anywhere um, and anytime as we as we need it. And then I, I do I do like to add one more thing that um, I forgot to mention is so so far most of us our our um, thinking for drones is still thinking it as a sensing tool. but it's actually besides sensing, It could also be used as a um, actuation or as an application tools. For example, we could use drones for uh, like spraying the chemicals. So in that case, drone is I mean can have some more like versatile application there.
0: Yeah, that sounds interesting. Like uh, although there are some common advantages or common. And uses of both drones and satellite image, there are some peculiar uses uh, and benefits that we can take out of the drones that cannot be done with uh, satellite based remote sensing. That's interesting. So let's uh, talk on a little broader uh, area here. So at the start of the conversation, you mentioned that uh, the mission of the land grant university is uh, research uh, extension and education so uh, what do you believe uh, is the role of the public sector particularly academia in developing precision egg technologies and preparing farmers for a transition to using these technologies in their operations
2: yeah i think a major a major difference um for us doing in the uni the universities versus like say all those um great um great Things happening in in the companies um, or in the in the industry is that we are probably not just focused on one um, particular tech technologies, and then we are not um, probably going to focus on um, just on one particular application. applications. Um, we're more abroad there. Uh, um, we whichever technologies or whichever applications are important there, um, that will uh, attract our interest. Um, And also we are more, I mean, um, we are not biased. Um, We, For example, we would uh, not just say, I mean, satellite is better or drone is better. We're doing more like more objective um, evaluation there. I think that's probably one of the major, major difference there.
1: We, uh, this summer, interviewed a lot of Nebraska Extension educators, and that was one thing that we kept coming back to is uh, in the Nebraska On Farm Research Network, we use whatever products we want to try out or the farmer wants to try out in, for their operation. But at the end of the day, we're never going to say company A is horrible, company B is the best, and company C is okay. We're going to say, here's what we found out. Here's our data. Do with it what you want to do. And I think that's something that's very cool about um, that public sector.
2: Yeah, sure, exactly. And also, I would say um, here in the, uni- in the university, we may um, work on something that is, say, um 10 years or 50 years later down the road, which which may seem like a like a like a crazy idea (laughs) there or something like a like a dream. But that's um yeah, and then not something that can be directly or the quickly turning to the the profit there. But that's something I mean um I think for the research that um Um, we, especially, we need to do that um, for the future.
1: Absolutely. That's very cool perspective on that. What's something that you look forward to in the future of digital ag and precision ag technologies?
2: Yeah. um, I think for the digital ag and precision ag technologies, um, actually, um, I think we've always making constant pro progress there. I mean, um, in probably in a few a few decades ago, we were really um, I mean um, focused on uh, like say the machinery and then later on the, in- the instrumentation and then the sensing technologies um, and nowadays people are um, very interested and focused on um, the data uh, or the information um, as aspect, but none of them is going to be, I mean, um, it's going to be diminishing there. I think what uh, all of them are, are, are very, very important, and they are actually going to rely on each, each other. Um, so um, precision and then um, um, digital act technologies, I would say um, we... We should not develop the technologies or the techniques just for the sake of having cool technologies or cool techniques. There, we always need to keep in mind with needs, with the problem there. Um, that's something um, I think we should we should just keep in mind. Um, for example, um, it's it's not something like oh we we do super detailed scale um, is the better, right? It's, it's, it's not always like the finer the scale, is the better. Uh, we always need to consider, I mean, what is really the best scale or the optimal scale? Um, how, how precise we really need there?
0: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. In the future, the digital and precision agriculture technologies will more focus towards the need-based solutions and actually help uh, the farmers or uh, other sectors out in need. So as we approach uh, towards the end of the episode today, uh, where can our listeners go to learn more about anything that we have discussed today and about your research?
2: Oh, um, I have... a my uh, university um, website page. Um, If you just search my name, I guess uh, you could find it. But I would also say there are just um, um, lots of, I mean, way better um, information from say the the university uh, website from, like you mentioned about the on-farm research, um, so lots of tons of great info information there, and then um, for for students, one of the good ways if you really are interested in dig more into it, um, in addition to some of the some of the resources you probably already know, would be um, like say all those all those literature search um, um, channels there. Right. So, for example, like say the Google Scholar or any kind of like say those um journal article or conference article, all those um libraries or the digital databases. Um, if you are really interested in um, like say more on the research side,
0: we have a tradition on the FarmBits podcast. Uh, we like to ask our guest for some words of wisdom or a piece of advice for any listeners who may be interested in implementing remote sensing systems, whether they are a producer, researcher, or anything else. So what would be your piece of advice?
2: I would say do the things right and also do the right things. So um, not just um, use some kind of technologies because others are using it, but also um, tailored with your own needs. Um, but also be open, like um, give it a try out, and then um, if you if you see it's not having the results as you expected, try to dig a little bit more into it. Try to learn how it operates, and then um, what's the principle. Just just try to learn a little bit more there, and then give it a little bit more chance to and let it work for you or or before you just give it up. Um, and also keep learning, keep exploring um, and also um, um, be open for something new there.
0: Thank you very much to Dr. A.N.C. for taking the time to join this episode of the Beats podcast.
1: It's really exciting to learn about all the different uses and applications of UAVs in agriculture. Dr. Shi and her team are working on some really cool projects.
0: One of my favorite parts of this episode was hearing about the sort of competition between UAV and satellite imagery, but also how they can work together to improve egg systems.
1: I absolutely agree. I found it really cool to hear her perspective on the use of UAVs increasing again as their technology continues to develop.
0: I hope you enjoyed that episode and we look forward to sharing another digital egg story with you next week. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farmbeats Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week.
1: We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes.
0: We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high-quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond.
1: The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the views of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln.
0: We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Beats.